Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. I'd like for you to open your Bibles tonight. I'm going to the book of Daniel, the first chant. The first chapter, Daniel chapter number one, and uh, verse number one. Let me say, as you're turning there, getting ready with your your iP- your Apple phone or whatever app you may be using, whether you've got a Bible, whatever, look on the screen. I am well aware of where I am tonight. I realize this is a men's conference, and so I want to minister to the men. I, I, I really do. But I also am aware where I am spiritually tonight. I know the region that I am in. I know that we are just miles away from a spiritual stronghold. I know that. And so what I'm about to plow tonight, I want us to be willing to go and deal with that in this hour that we're living in. Because as the song they sang a while ago, I am an overcomer. I'm not fighting for victory. I am fighting from victory. Praise God. I'm an overcomer. Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. He brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Epinez, the master of his eunuch, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. Somebody say a daily provision. A daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So nourishing them three years, that the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and of Azariah to Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Amen. Tonight I come with the word I believe from the Lord for this meeting. I want to preach by the help of the Lord and with your help tonight on Babylon's toxic Brew. Babylon's toxic brew. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, it is an honor. 
It's an honor tonight to serve, Lord, in ministry to this body of great men. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for these men, men of honor, men of courage, men that are ready. Oh, God, I pray tonight for your anointing. I come against every spirit that would try to destroy the homes, that would try to destroy the minds of these men, that would try to take them captive today. Lord, we are standing on your truth and on your word. There is none like unto you. You are the great I am. There is none beside you. You are the supreme God. You are the king of the universe. Hallelujah. We praise you as such tonight. We love you, Lord. Would you give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise? Praise the Lord. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. Consider with me for a few moments the dynamic and remarkable story of Daniel. It's a story of courage and deep conviction and commitment. Daniel perhaps is best known for the man that spent a night in a pit full of ferocious felines and lived to tell about it. Daniel's known as the book with great history and dreams and visions It has lions and beasts and angels and demons and gold statues and adventure and mystery and suspense and even a little fantasy. If you like a good story, Hollywood has no match to Daniel. It even has a king who thought he was a cow. Daniel provides details of ancient history and some amazing prophecies geared to the end time. Daniel the man emerges with Joseph as the only two men of the Old Testament uh, to which there is no mention of them ever erring or committing an evil act. What an amazing story. What an incredible man. We understand that Daniel was from the Hebrew family, a royal family. Matter of fact, the head of the palace was to go and find the healthy, handsome, handsome and intelligent men. Daniel was to, 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 to be a part of that group that the Hebrews were looking at that were well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, and understanding science. Daniel was handsome. Daniel was fit mentally and physically. He was a specimen along with his others that came. Daniel was loaded with courage. He was fearless. He, if you read chapter 2, you will find that Daniel jumps in and saves the day for the rest of the wise men of Babylon when the king said, I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation of the dream or I'm going to kill everybody. But Daniel steps in with some boldness and courage even as a young man. Daniel was recognized by the queen of Babylon as a man who had wisdom. She said, wisdom of the gods. She said that Daniel had an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts. Daniel was an amazing man. Jesus called Daniel the 
prophet, the prophet. Carmen wrote a song about him and called him Daniel the Dangerous Dude, Amen. I want to tell you, Daniel was a super smart. Uh, he was if if he was want to be one of those guys you hang around with because he made you look smarter than you really are. <coughs> Chuck Norris, where's Daniel Jammies? <laughs> but I've come to tell you, this story is more than a victorious adventure. Life is not easy for the man named Daniel. He was taken captive not by cause of his sin, but because of his family sin. He is taken captive some 500 miles from home. When he gets there, they change his name in an attempt to change his identity. And as most historians would record, that Daniel also was made a eunuch. And for those of you that don't know what that is, go look it up. Google it. (coughs) He didn't choose that. Never having a family, never having a wife, never having children. He didn't choose to spend three years in the Babylonian pagan practices of the arts of the occult and their university. He didn't choose to be surrounded by gross wickedness and debauchery. He was a handsome man. He was a smart man. He was a capable man. He was an intelligent man. He had a bright future, but somehow God chose to pick him up and pluck him out of his homeland and drop him right in the middle of one of the most vile, wicked worlds there was. Quite frankly, Daniel got a raw deal if you look at it. He could have become cynical. He could have become bitter. He could have become angry. He could have resented God and his religion. He could have resented the word and his faith. Amen. He could have chose to say, I'm 500 miles from home and I choose to drink. I choose to eat. I choose to embrace whatever they tell me. Daniel didn't have a choice about his name. He didn't have a choice about his school. He didn't have a choice about where he was at. But he had one choice. He said, you can be around me me you can be about me but you're not going to be in me I'm telling you we need men today that will stand up and say I can't do nothing about the Sodom mess that is around me but I can sure keep it out of me Daniel lived in a culture that hated his values, hated his morals, hated his beliefs, hated his God. They changed his name from what meant God is my judge to Bell's Prince. Bell's Prince. Amen. They decided that they were going to do everything they could to influence him. They wanted to do their best to influence him. But I want to tell you, Daniel made up his mind. I believe somewhere between Jerusalem and Babylon, he had a conversation with his soul. And he said, when I get there, there are some things I cannot control. But what I can control...
He could have said, this isn't fair. I'm going to go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I may die. But Daniel purposed in his heart not to be intoxicated with the wine of Babylon, neither to be influenced by the spirit and the mentality, nor the doctrine of Babylon. Amen. Babylon's true brew may have tasted sweet, but Daniel said it's toxic. It's not sweet. It's bitter. Daniel found a way to glorify God and fulfill God's purpose in the middle of a godless and wicked, evil culture. He found a way to influence his world, but not allow his world to influence him. He purposed in his heart. He said, I'm going to keep my integrity. He resolved to keep his convictions. He resolved to have favor in Babylon, have hope in Babylon, have anointing in Babylon, be committed to truth in Babylon, be a man on a mission in Babylon. Try to destroy my faith and I'll just purpose not to drink its brew. Can I just tell you that God has set the church in this world to be an influencer. We are not to be going off burying our heads somewhere in the sand, but we are to be influencers. Jesus said that the kingdom is likened unto a little bit of leaven. Like a little bit of leaven that begins to impact the whole bunch. But let me just tell you, if on your... If on your job you're not influencing who's around you, then surely make sure that they are not influencing you. Babylon attempted to reshape his values, deconstruct his convictions, but Daniel purposed in his heart to understand the spirit and the brew of Babylon. We need to go back to its beginning and its origin because Babylon shows up all the way back in Genesis chapter 11, known as the tower or the kingdom of Babel. Because literally in the Hebrew, Babel is a form of Babylon. It's where the word comes from. Babylon comes from Babel. If you look at Genesis 11 and 2, you will find that the Bible says that it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. And they found a plain in the land of Shinar and dwelt there. That sounds pretty tame. That sounds pretty we're going east, and then all of a sudden we decided, hey, we're going to put, 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 we're going to put roots down right here. But you got to understand what God had said, what the purpose of God was. Let me show you the sin that was in Babel. Number one, Babel rebelled against the purpose of God. God's purpose for humanity was go, disperse, and be fruitful. God wanted people to go and advance his kingdom from the very beginning and that is still his mission today. 
But Nimrod decided that he was going to do something his own way. And he used his self-interest to intoxicate the people, to let them know, amen, that, that, that uh, hey, God's plan is not really the best plan. I've got an idea. I've got a purpose. Matter of fact, Genesis 10 and 9, the Bible calls Nimrod a mighty hunter before the Lord. That doesn't mean that God acknowledged him as a mighty hunter. That means he was a hunter of men in the face of God. He was a front to God. And he said, I'm going to go get men and I'm going to influence men to do what I want them to do. So we're going we're gonna to say no to the purpose of God and we're going to stop right here and build us a city. Sin number one of Babel in its beginning is they rebelled against the purpose of God. Sin number two, Genesis 11 and 3, they said one to another, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Science became king in Babel. Science and education was a premium in Babel. Nimrod, we find, began to advance technology. Technology became more important than purpose. I said technology became more important than purpose. Prosperity and technology allowed Babel to live an astonishing level of opulence, riches, affluence. Amen. Consumerism was the rule of the day. And so God said they used their ingenuity and their technology to enhance their sin. This is the beginning of Babylon. Number three, they said, go, let us build us a city. Go, let us build us a city. We find that the first time the word kingdom is used is for the kingdom of Balaam. Nimrod, the great hunter, was successful in getting men to come into his system of government. He established a systematic form of government and religion because they had a, ta- a tower they were building to the sky so that they could say, we don't like the way God said to worship, so we're going to build a system of government and a religious system that we can do what we want. Do you know today that history bears out that every pagan deity has its bed in all of Nimrod and Babel? Every pagan religious system has its start in that except for a church that was born with the words. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Their third sin was they systemized government and religion. The fourth is they said, let us build a tower up to the heavens. That means they reconstructed worship to fit their mode, to fit their way, to fit what they think, and to fit how they want to do it. 
In Romans 1, Paul spoke of a people who knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God. They professed themselves to be wise, but they were fool. Subsequently, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into a God of their own making and their own choosing. We are in that spirit today. I'll do worship how I want to do worship. You're not going to tell me how to worship. I'll worship like I want. What the spirit of Babel says is, I got a better idea than God. I got a better plan than God. I've got a better purpose than God. I've got a better way of worship than God. I got a better way to organize than God. It's the same old lie. God does not have your best interest. The last sin is that they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Nimrod influenced and persuaded and shaped the thinking of man until it didn't look like anything that God wanted. Amen. Let me just tell you today, present day secular humanism is the ultimate expression of Nimrod's system. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, I believe that all around our country today that there are temples that are worshiping secular humanism that says God is dead, man is king, amen, man is smart, man knows what to do, man's got a better idea, man knows how it's done, amen. Not every university is a pagan temple, but I want to tell you that's where the Babylon system is rising today. In the Bible, we find that Babel is a place, Babylon is a city, Babylon becomes a nation. Then it becomes a region. And then it becomes a mentality. Babylon becomes a mentality or a way of thinking and acting. I'm just going to get completely out of my notes. I thought I wouldn't go down this road. But you find in the book of Revelation where the Bible speaks about the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is in the right hand and in the forehead. We've made that everything from a stamp of 666 to a UPCI code. Did I say I? I'm sorry. (laughs) To a chip, we made it everything. But could it be that man's number being 666 is talking about more than just a stamp on your hand? It is talking about a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of believing. It's man's idea. Thumbing his nose at God. Thumbing his nose at God and saying, I don't care what your idea is. I've got a better idea. If you want to know what the Babylon mentality is, God lays it out for us in Isaiah 47. He said, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There's no throne. God's talking plain to Babylon. He said, there's no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. That don't need a whole lot of commentary. Other than Babylon thinks it's charming 
and alluring. I sit on my throne. I am important. I am my own queen. Now, there's a reason why Babylon is known as a lady, as we will find out later on. But if you pick up the reading in chapter 47 and verse 7, you will find Babylon's manifesto. God gives it to us. This is Babylon's manifesto. Verse number 7. And thou saidest, I shall be a lady forever. You said, I'm an eternal queen, Babylon. I will always be in charge. I'll always rule the world. That's what she thinks. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now this, thou art given to pleasures and dwellest carelessly. Listen up. The Bible is, the Lord is saying, you soft, wanton woman hooked on luxury, opulence, and pleasure. This is what Babylon says. Thou sayest in thy heart, I am and there is none else beside me. The Babylon brew is a brew that says, my interest is the most important interest. My wants are the most important wants. My thoughts are the most important thoughts. If I think it, it must be right. If I think it, it must be okay. I am, therefore there is none else beside me. I am. He goes on to say in verse 9, And these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood, and they shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thy enchantments. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, None seeth me. Nobody sees me. I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm going to think how I want to think. I'm going to be how I want to be. Then he said, And thy wisdom and thy knowledge hath perverted thee and thou hast said in thy heart I am and none else beside me I'm here to tell you Orwell got it wrong in 1984 he got it wrong he thought that the coming future would be that they would pull everything away from man they would take knowledge away from man but Huxley got it right and he said that what was going to happen is that there would be an oversaturation of information and now we are dealing with a babbling mentality that says my wisdom is right I don't care what the book says I don't care what the preacher says I don't care what this Babylon's motto is self-supremacy satisfying self self-satisfaction that's natural isn't it Hallelujah. I am. I'm going to follow my cravings. I'm going to follow my desires. I'm going to follow my passions. I'm going to follow my thinking. Babylon says, I want to be known. I want to be famous. I want to be liked. I want to have followers. I want to have subscribers. I want to have friends. Some time ago, I talked to a, a teenage girl that had backslidden. Her mom actually backslid, and she went with her mom out of our church. And I looked at her, and I hadn't seen her. She'd come to church one time, and I looked at her and called her by her name, and I said, 
I don't know, she's maybe 15, 16 years old now. And I said, what do you want to do with your life? What's your plan? You know, go to school, get married, have kids. What came out of her mouth for an instant floored me. Then I realized that is the mantra of today's world. She said, I want to be famous. Babylon says, I am, and there's none else besides me. I am. Help me, Holy Ghost. I am. I want to be popular. I want to be accepted. I want to be myself, whatever I think myself is. I really want to know who I am. And if that don't work, I know better than God how to be a humanitarian. I can be a better humanitarian than God. I can love better than God. I can be care for people better than God. But I want to tell you who is the original I am. It is not Babylon, but it is the Lord of glory. He said, I am the first and the last. I am the Lord, my glory I will not give to another. I am the Lord thy God. He said, before me there is no God, neither shall there be after me. I even I am the Lord. I am God. I am he. I am the Lord. I am the Lord that maketh all things. I am the Lord and there is none else. I am the Lord and there is none else. I am the Lord and there's none else. I am the Lord and there's none else. For I am God and there's none else. I am God and there's none like me. I repeated no verse. I repeated no verse. All of that come from Isaiah. Amen. Laying the foundation. God says to Babylon, you're missing it. I am. I believe one of the best things ever come into our culture and one of the worst things that ever come in our culture is social media. I got a rumble of amens. I've watched as people have lost their loving mind because somebody unfriended them. Get a life. I am. Those kind of people, if you look on their, on, their, on their page, you'll find that every picture is them. What they're doing, where they're eating, who they're eating with, and how they're doing. What are they saying? I am. And beside there is no. I'm talking about the devil's brew. I'm talking about the toxic wine of Babylon. Go to Revelation 17. We saw the beginning of Babylon. Now let me tell you the end of Babylon. The end of Babylon. Revelation 17.1 says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore sitting upon many waters. Oh, that's not very kind, is it? When you finish reading what the Bible says about who she is, that is probably very kind. 
Then verse 2 says, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. The kings, the rulers of governments and of nations have committed fornication. I'm not talking about actually sleeping. This is a spirit now. This is a mentality. It's not an individual. It's a mentality that the kings of the earth have gotten bed with. But not only that, it goes on to say, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Daniel knew what he was doing. Daniel understood when it came to certain things, you just don't ingest certain things. There are certain things we don't need to be putting in our mind. There are certain things we don't need to be putting in our bodies. There are certain things we don't need to be drinking, eating, but we sure don't need to be thinking. John goes on and says, So the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy with seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. Get this. And her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Look at that, it'll make you puke. Or it should. Then it says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. Babylon is depicted as a great harlot. In the Bible, you will find that adultery and fornication is really connected to idolatry. And the inhabitants of the earth, she has made drunk on the wine of her influence, on the wine of her intoxication. Hallelujah, can I tell you today that any pleasure, any pleasure that keeps you from giving God glory and giving yourself into the purpose of God is an illegitimate pleasure. Any pleasure that keeps you from serving God, any pleasure that keeps you out of the house of God, any pleasure that keeps you from the purpose of Hallelujah. Do you know why Gideon picked 300 men and sent the rest away? It's because 300 kept their eye on their purpose while they were taking care of their needs. Amen. I want to tell you, any purpose that keeps you from serving God is a brew you don't want to need to be drinking. John Wesley once asked his mother for a definition of sin. Listen to this. John Wesley's mother said this. Take this rule, son. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things, that thing is sin to you. (laughs) 
I'm afraid, brothers, that we are living in a generation that's completely intoxicated with worldliness, completely intoxicated with Babylon. Amen. It is just not in the world. It is in the church. It is in the house of God. I got more things to say than I got time to say it. But just let me tell you what Isaiah said. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink and continue until night until wine inflame them. I'm not talking about natural wine. I'm talking about the brew of Babylon. I'm I'm talking about a mentality. I'm talking about a way of thinking. And Babylon is nothing more than the pimp of Satan to get the world drunk on an idea that says no to God. Make no mistake, Babylon wants you drunk. Drunk on pleasure. Drunk on performance. Drunk on entertainment. Drunk on social humanism. Drunk, 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 drunk until we don't see the true purpose of the kingdom of God. But Daniel said, I purpose in my heart that in the middle of this debauchery, in the middle of their partying, in the middle of their image making, I'm not going to drink one drop of Babylon's toxic brew. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, to be men like Daniel. I've been on preaching. I've been on a hiatus from preaching. And so I got a lot reserve built up. But I want to tell you something. I believe that we have made some mistakes in Pentecost. Preaching on things and not preaching on Babylon. Because Babylon will change things. Babylon will change technology. Babylon will change things. And while we're still hooked on. This will be obsolete before long. So preach on it all you want. But let me just tell you. You better preach on Babylon's thinking. You better be preaching on. This is a way of thinking. Can I go on? First John 2, 15, you know this. Love not the world. Let me interpret it like this. Love not the wine of Babylon, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, they are the three ingredients of Babylon's brew. The American culture has become drunk on the wine of the world. Drunk. Absolutely drunk on pleasure. Drunk on sports. Drunk and addicted to having fun. Drunk, drunk, drunk. Amen. 
It's time that we get more upset about Babylon's brew than whether they kneel or they stand. We can talk for hours about sports. I said we can talk. I, I, I've been the biggest duck in the paddle. Talk about sports for hours. I can talk about playing golf and I can talk about uh, uh, doing those kind of things, watching movies and TV and politics and culture. Talk about it for more and more and more. But this old guy in the last few days has felt the weight of conviction that says, are you sober, Tim? Are you really sober? Or are you thinking like Babylon. In a few, you hear my voice, in a few years, the spirits of darkness are going to come out like we have yet to see them. And what the world wants and what the enemy wants, the system of Babylon wants, is a church that's drunk, drunk on this and drunk on... But what the enemy don't know is there's a generation that's waking up and saying, I'm about to go through some rehab. I'm about to be completely stone sober from the world. Back in the 1990s, many of you know my dad. In the 1990s, my dad was pastoring in Lepanto, Arkansas. They lived in a little white-sided house. In that house, it had nine-foot ceilings, old house. And My dad was sitting in the recliner reading his Bible one evening. And he said an angel of the Lord showed up in his house. Said his head hit the top of the ceiling. And he stood from floor to ceiling, said he was a strong warrior. And he took a knee by my dad's recliner and he said these words to him. The church is addicted to style. We're addicted to how it looks. And if it don't look good here and it don't look good there. And if it don't look good on our, I've got, we've got a live stream and, and thank the Lord for it. But I don't want to get so addicted that I've got to make sure that I'm doing everything like the world. And how the world does it and how the world looks. Oh God, let me preach a gospel that is not pepper with Babylon's brew. I believe there's coming a generation, there's coming a generation where people are going to get off of this, where they think that there's some other kind of identity, or they think that there's some other kind of uh, uh, sexual preference. You mark it down, there's going to come a day where there's people that are just, do you know that the highest suicide rate is in the transgender world? What they need to understand is that there is a God that loves them and knows who they are and calls them by their name and tells them how valuable they are. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh says pleasure, entertainment, amusement, comfort is the most important thing. Netflix, Hulu, most important thing. Traveling the world, playing on sports teams, having movies. Amen. Most important. I'm not preaching against those things. I'm talking about getting drunk on them. Mm -hmm. Amen. We're being trained to accept Hollywood's picture of pleasure and morals as the norm. Sex before marriage is the norm. Abortion is the norm. Amen. Hating God is the norm. Shaking your fist at God is the norm. Amen. That is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes is whatever we see we want. Possessions, fashion, latest technology, the newest car, the newest gun, the newest tool, the newest boat. Amen. While Satan is saying, worship me and I'll give you all the world. Amen. We get hooked on stuff and we rob God from from blessing us. The pride of life is self-ambition, fame, prominence, wanting to be known, educated, and acclaimed. Babylon is not just being drunk in the system of the world. Babylon is being drunk in the church. We may just be a little tipsy. Come on, I think we need to be serious with ourselves today. We get addicted to the newest craze or technique of church. This group goes through and we do it that way. And this group goes through and we do it that way. And the Lord's sitting back and says, y'all sound like Babylon to me. Oh, that went over. We are drunk in the church over church comparison. We're comparing this our church to that church. And if our church don't measure up to that church, then we're bad. Or if they don't measure up to us, they're bad. Amen. If their music isn't as good as our music, uh, then all of a sudden uh, they don't measure up. Or, or uh, You know, we need to stop and say, this is the kingdom of God. If one gets baptized over here, I'm connected to it. If one gets baptized over there, I'm connected to it. If they get Get the Holy Ghost in Anderson. They're getting the Holy Ghost in Medora. Satan, I'm not going to drink your brew anymore. Hallelujah. We are all part of one church. Quickly. There are 11 organ systems in the body, and alcohol affects every one of them on the first drink. Now, I know I'm preaching on spiritual wine here and a mentality, but just listen, listen, listen to the evidence. Alcohol is not digested, it is absorbed. Alcohol causes severe chronic heart condition it uh, interferes with the metabolism process and it doesn't allow nutrients to get in the body and the body becomes malnourished the liver can only oxidize one drink 
per hour. The only way to sober up in natural is time. Your liver is also where alcohol gets metabolized. The liver turns alcohol into a toxin, and that toxin can release cancer into the body. Alcohol causes a a compromise of the immune system. It blocks testosterone. Creates cardiovascular abnormalities. Makes one more susceptible to infections, viruses, and serious diseases. And you want to drink Babylon's brew? I'm talking about in the spirit now. Alcohol slows down muscle movement and impairs muscle coordination. Alcohol gets as a depressant over the system or acts as a depressant over the system, slowing your ability to process information and perform basic functions. Can I tell you what Daniel knew? Daniel knew if I'm going to be a man that sleeps at night with the lions, if I'm going to be a man that sees a vision and revelation, if I'm going to be a man that can interpret dreams, if I'm going to be connected to God, then I can't defile myself with Babylon's brew. Let me talk to you about the escalating effects of alcohol. When blood alcohol level is at 0.02%, judgment, inhibitions, and emotions are affected, resulting in increased relaxation and excessive talking. When blood alcohol reaches 0.06%, reaction time and coordination is decreased. But neither may vary, may be very obvious. Slow to move. Slow to go to where you need to go. Slow to respond. When blood alcohol is 0.08%, you are considered legally drunk in every state of the union. When alcohol level is 0.10%, vision, speech, balance, perception, and self-control are affected. Amen. At 0.18%, walking and standing are noticeably affected. In 0.20%, memory is impaired. The brain centers for intelligence, emotions, sensory motor abilities are affected, cannot think clearly, and become excited or angered easily. The more you drink, the more it affects you. A blood alcohol level of 0.30%, the body is thrown into a complete state of confusion. Oh, by the way, Babel means confusion. Amen. Into a complete state of confusion. Slurred speech, double vision, hearing impairment, difficulty, or impossible to judge distances. Amen. Here's where we are. We can become so intoxicated with the world that our perceptions are so off, we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. Our belief system can get messed up. (laughs) 
At 0.40%, the brain can barely function and the nervous system is ineffective. At 0.50%, a person slips into a coma, a coma. Breathing, heart action, and blood pressure are decreased dramatically to a dangerously low point. My dad tells a story about two drunk men in Louisiana years ago in down south Louisiana where he was raised. Hey Amen. Brother Allen, you know about mosquitoes in down south Louisiana? These two guys got drunk and they fell asleep. They just passed out in the ditch. The next morning, they came and found them dead. The mosquitoes had drained the blood out of them. If for no other reason, you better realize that the enemy wants to destroy your soul, destroy your mind, destroy your home. He wants you hooked on pornography. He wants you hooked on a thinking. He wants you hooked on a feeling. I'm going to go past some of my notes to get to a point. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, men. If there was an hour that we need to be as tight as said, let the aged men be sober so they could teach the younger men how to be sober-minded. Let the aged women be sober so they can teach the younger women how to be sober because the Bible said the grace of God teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly. I never, Brother Lane, I've never had to deal with alcohol problems in my family. My dad wasn't an alcoholic. He had an alcoholic uncle. I never had to deal with it. I've never had to deal with a a man, but I have a son-in-law who has. And here's what I do know is that the drunk is the last person to admit they're drunk. They'll shake the keys in your face, staggering, and say, I'm not drunk. I can drive. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. What, what the Revelation says, and I'm coming to a close. What Revelation says in 18 and 4 is speaking of Babylon, and it says, come out of her, my people. He's not saying come out of the world. He told us to go into the world. But he's saying come out from their mentality. Come out of their thinking. Test it by the word. I believe you ought to test every movie by the word. I don't, I don't think you heard me. Hold on. Quit clapping. Quit clapping. Quit. I don't think you heard me. Test every movie by the word. Test every TV show by the word. Test every Hollywood junk by the word. Test CNN, Fox News by the word. Test professor so-and-so at the university by the word.
We need to be very careful that we have made up our mind as Daniel. I purposed in my heart. I purposed in my heart that life is sacred. Even in the womb. I didn't set that up. My God set that up. I have come to the conclusion that worship is sacred. I don't have a choice about making it about me. I've come to the conclusion that marriage is sacred. No, regardless of what my proclivities may be or my feelings and my emotions may be, marriage is sacred. I don't have the right to change it. I don't have the right to choose something else because God said it was this. Tell me if you hadn't had this. What don't look so bad? Coming to your head. Well, that don't look so bad. Look how that, that, they're really getting along. That's got to be pretty good. Do you know what? That's exactly what Satan said. This looks good. It's good to the eyes. It's a fruit to be desired, to make one wise. Amen. Satan didn't come around like a pitchfork in hand and pointed ears and, and a tail sticking back out there. He comes as an angel of light. Oh, it looks good. Heaven and earth will pass away. But this, not my opinion, not your opinion. I have come to serve the enemy notice. This is not a political debate that I'm in. I'm not talking about Democrats or Republicans or independents. I'm talking about an evil spirit that is unleashed upon our world that says morals don't matter. Morals don't matter. Marriage doesn't matter. Amen. How you live doesn't matter. What you drink and what you smoke and what you put in your body doesn't matter. I read from the book. It says, know you not that your body, not your mind, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your work is sacred. Wherever you work, it's sacred. So showing up early like a Christian does is sacred. Being on time and being honest, it's sacred. Your work is sacred. Sex and marriage is sacred. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into their mentality. That's what it means. Don't be squeezed into their mentality. Don't be conformed in this world. Stop letting your spirit be led by lies. Okay? He goes on to say, but be ye transformed. 
transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you that not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. We need sober men to merge. We need men to say, I refuse to be drunk on the wine of Babylon. I, I, I must admit to you today, in studying this message and praying about this, Pastor Wilkes, I found some tippy moments where I tasted a little bit of that toxic brew. There are some among us tonight that are a little bit tipsy, and then there are some that are stone cold drunk. You haven't understood a word I said. It's flown past you. Say, I just old preacher. But the Bible says, repent. Repent. The first acknowledgement of being tipsy is, I'm a little drunk. I don't know about you, but sometimes I see myself as a little drunk on the cares of life. Jesus said, and it chokes out the word. I'm convinced that if the church was more sober, we'd see more gifts of the Spirit operating. We'd see more prophecy in the church. If the church would just simply say, enough with the drinking, enough with it taking it in, enough with I can't wait to go to eat, I can't wait to go do this, and I can't wait to go there. I want God, Lord. I'm sorry, Bishop. I'm sorry, but... Is there anybody with me that says, I don't want to be filled with with the Babylon's brew, but I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. These are not drunk as you suppose. Let me be drunk in the Holy Ghost. If I'm going to be inebriated, let me be inebriated in the Holy Ghost. Babylon, I don't have time for you. Babylon, I don't have time for you. Uh, I can't can't determine everything. Uh, I can't determine everything on the outside. But I don't have to ingest you. Oh, come on, men. Come on, men. Heaven help us tonight. Lord, we repent. Lord, we repent. Lord, we repent. Lord, we repent. I repent. Oh, God. I can't afford to be hooked on football. I can't afford to be hooked on on sports and junk. Lord, I can't afford to be hooked on the things of this world. Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com